0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the
1: official pest control of UGA Athletics.
0: Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily
1: podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon
0: Adams. So what we predicted is kind of turning out to be true. This SEC spring meetings taking place in Destin, Florida. You know, a lot of times these things are just kind of an excuse for a vacation. You get to the beach, you have some air quotes here, meetings, and you know, people talk and say a lot of things, but ultimately nothing really comes from the deliberations. We sort of had the feeling that maybe this year's SEC spring meetings might be a little different than that because some of the things that are being talked about, actually are going to be changed in the very near future and what we said yesterday once again kind of turning out to be true is that a lot of this would sort of zero in on the future of sec scheduling because for all the things that are being kicked around now transfer portal nil playoff expansion the thing that's actually on the the horizon the forefront to change sooner maybe than any of that is the sec scheduling model and a lot of this is necessitated by the fact that the sec is about to add two more teams this is about to be a 16 team league And so keeping the division format is gonna just be a little bit ponderous. Even if you wanted to do it, which I don't know that necessarily most people do, but even if you wanted to keep the division format in place and earn your way to the SEC Championship game the same way you always have, two divisions of eight teams just makes that a little bit of a challenge if you ever really want to see with any regularity whatsoever, the teams from the other division. So this is the change that's probably on its way to the SEC sooner rather than later. There's a debate ongoing about what this change should look like. Now, let me kind of jump to the last page for a moment, work my way back. You're going to hear from Kirby Smart here in a couple of minutes. And I think that Smart's perspective on this is exactly what a fan should want. That that who knows how the change plays out here but it seems like Kirby Smart wants the right thing when it's all said and done and I'll let you hear in his own words what the right thing is coming up in just a moment so that's that's where we're going to get to eventually but let me start this way I think sometimes when it comes to debates especially the kind of debates we have in sports you know, there isn't necessarily a wrong answer. Some of this is just your own personal preference. Now, listen, this is an opinion-based show. I try to give strong opinions as a way of just kind of cutting through the clutter that's out there online. Uh, it's kind of fun from a sporting sense to have a strong opinion, hot take or you know, bold whatever, and, and just kind of argue your point. That's kind of a fun thing to do. But there are moments in which it is possible to kind of see both sides of an issue. And I think that's one of the things you kind of see right now as it's being discussed with the SEC scheduling situation from the perspective that I always look at things from is what is good for fans? You know, somebody else can worry about what's best for players, what's best for the coaches, what's best for the business side of all this. Frankly, the SEC can make eight gazillion dollars. I'm never going to see a dime of that. So ultimately, what's best for the SEC from a business standpoint doesn't really interest me all that much. The thing that interests me is what is best for fans, what's most enjoyable for fans. I want to be an advocate for the people who are the fans of this sport more so than anything else, because somebody else will exist to advocate for the uh, others on all of this. So when it comes to what is best for fans, I think you can look at a couple of different options here and say, well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. And truly where you kind of your, your perspective is going to kind of cloud your judgment. So here are the two things the sec seems to be considering right now now smart says there may be other options but here are the main two things that seem to be on the table if i'm understanding this correctly well we'll talk to mike griffith here in a moment he is in dust and he can kind of shed more light on us with that but the 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 couple of things you're kind of getting here is is that as the sec moves forward likely scrapping divisions and creating a scenario where the teams with the two best records at the end of the year are the two that move on to the sec championship despite you know what division they may have used to been in or geographically where they're located they're just simply going to be best records moving forward and that's going to either be based on an eight-game conference schedule, which is the same number of games the teams play now, or a nine-game conference schedule. And if you move forward with a new nine-game conference schedule, which is more than what the uh, league has had in the past, it sounds like the teams would have the would each have three permanent opponents, three teams that you play each and every year, and six games against uh, the rest of the SEC played on a rotational basis. And hope you're following this. If they were to keep the conference schedule at Eight games moving forward, only one of those games would be against a permanent opponent, and every other game of the eight would be something on a rotational basis. So, the good thing about more rotating games is you get more games against teams that Georgia has really played. Only played Tech m once since it's been in the SEC. You'd play them more frequently. Georgia doesn't play Alabama very much in the regular season as it stands now on a rotational basis. You'd see the Crimson Tide a lot more frequently. Some of the fun spots to go to in this league, like Oxford, Mississippi, places like that, you'd get a chance to go there more often. And maybe some of the teams you've kind of got tired of playing over the years, Missouri, Kentucky, teams like that, you wouldn't see them nearly as frequently. So that's one of the reasons why. Uh, you favor, at least a lot of people favor, the rotating schedule because you get a chance to see more of the opponents you haven't seen very much. The flip side of this is you would lose some of the rivalries that matter. For instance, a school like Georgia, big state, a lot of border rivals. Uh, Georgia's probably got more rivals than the typical team does. And moving forward, Georgia would be playing a lot of those teams a lot less frequently. Even if Georgia had the three permanent opponents, you're still saying goodbye to, on a regular basis, say like a team like Tennessee, which is one of the teams that maybe Georgia wouldn't keep as a permanent opponent. So some of the great history those two teams have together, you wouldn't really have as much of that moving forward. But if you had the three-team model, you'd still get a chance to play Florida, you'd probably still get a chance to play Auburn, and another team there as well that you would play each and every year. So here's what it comes down to. Do you want to see more of what you've seen before, Or do you want to see more of what you haven't seen as much of? And I think there is a reasonable argument to be made on either side of that. But the other thing from Kirby Smart here is it's not just a consideration of, hey, SEC teams, you haven't played very much. It's also what happens outside the conference that matters too on this there as well. In fact, let me play you a little bit of Smart on the subject of the schedule change from yesterday SEC spring meetings our buddy Mike Griffith was on hand for it here's what he got from Kirby when it comes to this topic
2: I'm always excited to have great matchups um, you have to walk a fine line there's, I don't think there's a coach in his right mind that's going to say it in a perfect world I think it's eight games nine games because there's so much more involved than just what the coach wants um, there's a lot to do with television contracts there's a lot to do with making sure everybody gets to play um, a fair schedule um, it's hard when you look at it and you look at the options out there there's a lot of options uh, I'm for what gives the student athlete the best experience of getting our conference uh, we've got two more teams on the horizon and uh, that changes the dynamic as well so um, there's nothing wrong with the nine game schedule but that may not be the best thing for the conference right now so I
0: so Smart says, listen, you got to consider the TV contracts, things like that. I totally understand that the SEC has to think about that. They are, after all, running you know, what amounts to a business. But for me, ultimately, what makes the SEC more money doesn't matter a hill of beans if it's less enjoyable for fans overall. And that's where Smart's next comment on all of this probably matters to me is a couple of phrases that Smart used in particular, I think, are high-value phrases here in terms of our own personal enjoyment of college football. We have, you know, built our lives around following the sport in the falls. The game the, in, the, in the fall, the games are fun for us to watch. Will they still be as fun to watch in the future? Well, if coaches continue to say the right things, then maybe you believe they possibly would be. Here's an example of that from Kirby, where a couple of the phrases that he used yesterday, I think, are the kinds of things the fans ought to want to hear. Once again, Kirby on the same topic.
2: I think it's a lot more about who you play in those other games than necessarily a nine-game schedule. We've been very aggressive in terms of scheduling and trying to schedule opponents out in the future that make great matchups because I want the University of Georgia to play in big games. So whether that's an extra SEC game or another Power Five opponent that uh, attracts our fan base and excites our fan base, then so be it. I don't have a stance in terms of this is what's best or that's what's best because it changes. as our conference changes.
0: Something that's really interesting from Smart, first of all, I love the phrase that he used, great matchup, big games. We've been aggressive in trying to establish great matchups in big games. This is what you want a coach to say, not just the coach of our own favorite team here, the Georgia Bulldogs, but I think you would want any coach anywhere to say this. I mean we all kind of get excited this time of year when we start hearing, "Oh, what time is the Alabama Texas game going to be? What time is the Florida Utah game going to be or the, you know, the Texan and Miami game week 3, you know, these early season matchups when we find out what time they're going to be on TV, you know, not only do most of us like watching Georgia football, we like watching these other big games there as well. And the fact that Smart says we're going to try to figure out what's right with the acknowledgement that the thing that's most right from perspective is what creates the biggest matchups, what creates the best games. That's good news here because there is a completely different way of looking at this. You could be arguing on behalf of, hey, what's the easiest path to the playoff for us? You can understand why somebody would take that self-serving tact, but that creates a pretty boring level of football if that's your only consideration or you know, the thing of, hey, what makes us the most money with the least amount of effort, the least amount of work? Uh, A decision-making process like that might lead you to play more games like Southern Mississippi or Monroe State or, you know, Louisiana Monroe or somebody like that because you can fill the stadium without having to worry about losing the game very much. That's decent money for very little effort. It could be easy to understand why some coaches might want to pursue that. But that is not what Smart says he's pursued. And his actions here over the course of the last couple of years certainly you know lay proof to this, that he has been, as he says, aggressive about scheduling great matchups, big games. That's the kind of thing that Georgia fans ought to want to hear from their coach. And they got a chance to hear that yesterday. So let me circle back to this one more time, and then we'll move on to something else. When you consider what is the best for the future in terms of creating the most big matchups, the most really good games— you know, the eight, the nine game model also brings into, as Smart said there, some of those big non-conference matchups Georgia has scheduled. Because if you play the nine game conference late, it seems to stand a reason that you would have less room available to play some of those big games outside the region. What Georgia has done with Notre Dame, what it's going to soon do with Ohio State and these other games that Georgia has scheduled, maybe you just have less room for that if you're playing more conference games. So all of this kind of comes down to, I mean, ultimately the fans don't get to decide what happens but the fans ought to make up their mind about what they want to have happen here do you want more of the sec rivalries that you've gotten used to enjoying your entire life Or do you want more of the SEC games, the likes of which you haven't seen very much from UGA? Or do you want to leave room for more non-conference matchups taking place outside the South, having more chances to go to places like South Bend, Indiana, the way you did in 2017? Those are the options that seem to be on the table uh, right now. Fans lining up to decide what they think suits them best probably makes some make some sense for us to try to figure that out and you certainly hope that whatever the sec decides to do it kind of lines up with what most fans say they want my name is brandon adams and this is dog nation daily the daily podcast for georgia bulldogs fans we're presented today by breda pest management and we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today live on video 10 a.m facebook youtube twitter twitch we're on the radio at noon on App and Sports Radio 960 The Ref, we're available as a podcast, the Apple Player, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com. We post the show there each and every day, all kinds of platforms, all kinds of ways for you to get involved in the program, and we really appreciate you doing that. And Of course, we appreciate our friends at Braid to Past Management most of all because we wouldn't be able to do this, sit in this studio and deliver the show, do what we do here on a regular basis if not for our friends at Braid Past Management who bring this show to us here today. And not only do they serve us that way but they want to serve you there as well too because here's the thing they know when it comes to something very important like your uh, pest control provider your your termite protection some of you are working with a company out there not of pest management who are telling you each and every year that your service is going up you get that letter in the mail whatever else it says hey guess what your rate's about to increase and you're just tired of that especially in this day and age we're in right now where finding a way to save money has never been more important that's what it's all about when it comes to my friend at Breda Pest Management, Matt Brady the entire team over there. When you make the switch to Breda Pest Management, you can save money instantly. So let them, the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics, take care of you the way they take care of UGA. I'm talking about Sanford Stadium. I'm talking about uh, the equestrian complex, Foley Field. They've been doing great work for UGA for a long time. They're proud partners of UGA, the official pest control provider of UGA. And they want to bring that same level of service to you and they want to put more money back in your pocket. So it's time to make the switch to Bray to Pass Management right now. The website to do Uh, Go to to do just that is BredaPest.com. That's BredaPest.com spelled B-R-E-D-A. That's B-R-E-D-A. Get in touch with BredaPest.com and make the switch today and save money instantly. Put more money in your pocket when you do just that. All right, we're going to get Mike Griffith here in a moment from Destin, Florida. SEC spring meeting's ongoing. I want to give you a little bit more of Kirby Smart before we get there, though, because as you would imagine, Smart was asked directly about the big blow up between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, including what I believe is a TV reporter who asked Smart, hey, you know, how weird is it right now that that Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban aren't speaking to each other? They're not on speaking terms after the big dust up of the last few days. And what Smart said yesterday is actually from his perspective, it's not really all that weird at all. This Kirby Smart from yesterday.
2: call them i mean there's not a lot of there might be some uh, conversation between a few guys a few relationships you've been on staff i was somebody i talked to will will was a head coach some but it's not commonplace for for guys to be reaching out and and be friendly when you compete on the field and we're constantly competing for prospects day in and day out so it's not super unusual to me
0: i think that's probably more true than not that you know a lot of these guys I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a category of coaches that is a little bit friendly with each other. I think we know a little bit about some of these text chains these guys have going back and forth with each other, but other guys not talking very much. That's probably more common, uh, as Kirby Smart you know, suggests there, than maybe some people might think that it is. But all of that kind of led to a pretty direct question. I believe it's maybe Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated who asked this, if I'm recognizing the voice correctly. But Forty asking Smart the question that I think has to be asked. That when Jimbo Fisher fired back at Nick Saban the other day after what Saban had said about him, Jimbo Fisher basically invited, essentially deputized reporters to go digging into Nick Saban's past. Jimbo making some veiled accusations about you know Nick Saban's prior recruiting tactics and how he has built the success that he's enjoyed. So I think it stands to reason that Smart, who worked with Nick Saban for a long time, would be asked about some of that kind of stuff. Now I want you to listen to this. This is like. I don't think of Kirby typically as being much like a politician necessarily. And that's probably a good thing. But listen to how politician-like Kirby Smart just slides right past this question, earns a laugh there at the end, and just kind of moves on. This is very well handled by Smart. He doesn't even come close to answering the question. It's a pretty direct one, and it's probably one that needed to be asked. But Smart very smoothly sidesteps that and just keeps right on going, once again, on the issue of what Jimbo Fisher had said about Nick Saban, this also from yesterday. Well, I hope you understand the question, Kirby. <clears throat> since you've worked with Nick, so did Jimbo, Jimbo cast some serious excursions at Nick Saban the way he does his job. Was any of that
2: uh, justified or grounded, in fact, in your experience? be honest with you, I, I, my phone started blowing up right when Jimbo hit press conference, and I haven't thought about it a day since. Because in the world that we operate in, you're worried about what's in front of you right now, which is the 15 recruits I'm trying to get on the phone, the conversations I'm trying to have. have I'm not really worried about a feud between two guys that used to sit in the same staff meeting and have similar conversations. I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes things get heated. You'd rather not be in the in the, in the public uh, arena. But at the end of the day, things like that happen. I mean, you guys should be on the headphones sometime. You'd think that was uh, Mickey Mouse. so. Um, it just so happened in front of everybody, and it's not something that I prefer to comment on, will be honest with you. I'm, I'm worried about what we do at Georgia, and that's
0: my focus. Very smooth there by Kirby. He kind of gave the line about it being Mickey Mouse, and that kind of got some attention. Folks kind of gravitated towards that, and then you kind of think back, oh, yeah, he never did really answer that question of what was it like uh, working for Nick Saban, and is what Jimbo Fisher said about Nick Saban true? He never did really answer that question, did he? It's, it's a pretty – pretty smooth move on the part of Kirby Smart to do what he did there yesterday and I think the fact that Smart's being asked that question I think it's one that needed to be asked based on what Jimbo said but I think it speaks to the unorthodox way in which you know Saban and Fisher went at each other I don't think it's one guy more so than the other I think that Saban made it pretty personal and pretty aggressive we'll have more on this a little bit later on in terms of you know uh, how he's kind of trying to backtrack on some of that kind of stuff now but Saban really put it out there in a very public way in kind of an accusatory way and Jimbo Fisher gave it back to him and more so in both guys created the kind of scenario where they were going to force their colleagues in the SEC to answer questions about them in some cases uncomfortable questions in some cases kind of you know, you know, pressing questions, you know, uh, uh, really kind of digging into to things, the kind of stuff that coaches don't really want to talk about when they're at the beach in the uh, month of May turning into the month of June. But that's kind of the way all, all of that goes down to it. Just it sort of speaks to the unorthodox nature of what has gone on between Jimbo and Saban here over the course of the uh, last couple of weeks. But certainly pretty interesting stuff from Kirby Smart there on all of that. And now want to keep the conversation going. Interesting stuff from Kirby yesterday. Other big changes potentially in store for the SEC here, the spring meetings, maybe the the genesis for a lot of that. Mike Griffith is on hand in Destin, Florida. He's good enough to be with us here today. Glad to have him. And all of you on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda, Pest Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a dognation.com insider. We will uh, say hello to Mike Griffith here doing good reporting there in Destin, Florida yesterday. Uh, Mike, let me begin where I started today's show on the future of SEC scheduling, looking at an eight-team schedule, looking at a uh, a nine-game conference schedule do you get the sense right now it sounds like there may be a based on kind of what i'm reading you're obviously in the room but do you get a sense right now that there's one of those two models that has even a slight preference over the other in the minds of the key decision makers who are down there on the florida panhandle right now
1: for the nine game model the uh three six model where you play the same three teams every year and rotate six i mean they're all about you know playing different opponents and getting around the league, I mean, obviously Georgia still hasn't played at Texas A&M, and, and the Aggies have been in the league 10 years. You know, they see that as a problem. But, you know, there is some hesitation right now as we're stuck on this four-game uh, playoff uh, because of the Alliance. Um, you know, the Alliance really derailed the expansion to the 12-team playoff, which would have really really made, uh, made it really easy to go to the nine-game uh, conference schedule. You know, the concern is if you go to a nine-game schedule, do you perhaps, um, you know, lessen the chances of the SEC getting two teams in the college football playoffs. You know, simply put, you know, uh, does a two-loss quality SEC team get in over an undefeated or a one-loss non-SEC team? And I think all we need to do is go back to 2018 Georgia uh, as an example to see that, yes, they will leave out uh, a two-loss SEC team even if they're one of the four best teams in the country, which yeah. 2018 Georgia clearly was. So while they do want to do that for the conference. Uh, and they do want to play more games, you know, as Nick Saban said yesterday, there, there's also a competitive balance to speak of, and not within the SEC, but with the rest of the conferences in the country. Obviously the Big Ten, uh, you know, I, I believe they play a, a nine-game model. But what about the other leagues? What, what's the ACC going to do? What's the Big 12 going to do? Um, are you putting yourself at a disadvantage for the playoffs? So I, I put it to Kirby because uh, in 2018 Kirby said he's for a nine-game season. That's what he said in 2018. And I put, I reminded Kirby that he said that yesterday and he kind of qualified it and he brought up the college football playoffs and, and then said, you know, we have to do what's best for the conference. And obviously there's some financial incentives to have two teams in the playoffs. So I think they want to go three, six, uh, but I think they would prefer that that would correlate with a 12 team playoff, but you know, we may not get that. Will they press forward? I mean, that's, that's kind of what I think is being discussed this week with three, six versus, uh, the seven, one, which would which would basically uh, eliminate the cross-division rival um, and, and just pick one rival you play every year and rotate seven. I think I'm burying the lead here. I think we're going to see the end of divisional play is what I think we're going to see at some
0: point. Yeah, that's the one thing I think is probably the easiest to cipher from this is that one way or another, the traditional format for deciding who plays in the SEC championship, that is about to go away, and it's simply a matter of what does the format look like that replaces it. Um, Mike, do we know – I mean, I'm certainly assuming here, but maybe we don't know for sure that if the SEC were to quickly adopt an eight, I should say a nine game conference schedule, that some of these big non conference series that Georgia has coming up, you know, playing Oklahoma, for instance, in a non conference game next season, going to Ohio State in the very near future, would Georgia still be able to do all of that if it's also playing a nine game conference schedule?
1: Yeah, you know, Kirby brought that up too. You know, they like, they like scheduling aggressively. That's one reason he may be leaning toward keeping the eight. I mean, obviously, you know, Georgia kind of, you know, wasting away game with Georgia Tech. Well, it depends on your definition of waste, but you know, that's very costly to give away a home and home for Georgia Tech. Does that mean you have to punt now, uh, some of these other quality series that you landed to go to Atlanta every other year and watch a 40 point game? Uh, you wonder, or in your, or in the case of 2023 Oklahoma, you know, in hindsight, not negotiated very well by Georgia leadership because you play at Oklahoma, there were turn games in 2031. Well, guess what? They're in the conference anyway. So you basically just gave away a home game because of stupid scheduling. and The schedule model for Georgia, you know, it, it, as I said, it was 41 years since you won a national title. And had you not had the best college football player of all time, it would have been 79 years with the schedule model. So I think Josh Brooks and, and Jerry Moorhead, I think you're seeing a more progressive approach From Georgia, I think you're seeing more a calculated approach. And even though they're paying lip service to we're going to do what's best for the league, I think they realize there's a lot of Georgia fans that are still pretty upset that Georgia kind of took one for the team and played two road games in a row at Auburn in 12 and 13. What did they ever get back for that, by the way? So to your point, there is a lot at stake with the scheduling and scheduling model. Certainly Kirby likes the the fact that they're playing some of these attractive home-and-home series. He doesn't want to see those go away. But at what cost? You you can't keep giving away all of your home games. You can't keep giving Georgia Tech and keep going to Jacksonville and keep going neutral site. You're giving away all your home games and it just doesn't add up. So it's gonna be interesting to see which direction they go. I thought
0: it was also kind of interesting yesterday that Greg Sankey definitely, I guess, downplayed the idea of an SEC only playoff, essentially pulling out of the current playoff format there's a certain sense in which i i still sort of think that like that option i guess to me seems like it has to be considered as a leverage point or, or something along those lines but once again you're there what did you think of some of the stuff that the commissioner said about you know basically you know, at least publicly anyway, kind of disregarding the notion they might seriously consider doing an SEC-only playoff or something like that. You It know, did not certainly throw a lot of uh, spears in the direction of the, the alliance based on some of the stuff that he said yesterday. How did you take some of that?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'd say disregarded so much as maybe tabled. I think that's a tool in the tool belt. I think that's one of the options you look at is, you know, hey, what the what-if scenario, the blue sky thinking. Um, you know, how far does this alliance take it? Right. I mean, how far does the alliance rally against the SEC and and how much of a corner do they paint the SEC into? And there, there's other teams that want to join the SEC, by the way. You know, it, just because we're tabling it for now, theoretically, from our takeaway from Sankey, doesn't mean it can't resurface with another two, four, six, eight teams in the SEC. I mean, when we talk blue sky thinking, we're, we're talking all possibilities. I mean, look, college football is transitioning enormously. It's almost as if it's been sucked into the black hole and it's come out into a different galaxy and we're having to rethink everything because of the financial model. That's basically upside down with the end of amateur, amateur. So you've got to think of everything cause there's no telling what direction this is going to turn or what it's going to take, you know, for there to be some semblance of organization. I thought Billy Napier, you know, said it best when he said, we're kind of in a lawless land. And he's right. You know, he talked about the gray area, the uncertainty, and, and how do you operate in this? And then, you know, talking with another, one of the business leaders I've known for a long time, and he was talking about the Tennessees and the Texases, A&Ms and the Texases, and, and why they're better positioned in some ways than Georgia and Alabama, because their fans are desperate. They're hungrier than Georgia and Alabama. It is easier to get money when you haven't won anything for a long time. I mean, think about, George's desperation and the facilities drive and hiring Kirby smart. Well, now you got one, you know? So now I'm hearing people say things like, well, we don't need to change. We got our chance. It's like, no, no, you have to stay hungry. You have to keep your edge. So I, I wouldn't rule out anything, Brandon. I think that's a good observation that they've kind of tabled that notion, but that's the notion of doing it with a 16 team SEC. Who's to say we're not talking about a 24 or a 18 team SEC in four or five years.
0: Yeah, I think that's a certain possibility based on kind of how some of this kind of stuff could play out. Here here's something else, Mike. I want to get your opinion on this. I think for me as a fan who has some concerns about, you know, how, you know, the the sport's kind of evolving right now, one of the things that's kind of frustrating about what I see from the SEC after a day like yesterday is it feels like there's a lot of sideways energy in terms of I'm not really hearing a clear vision right now from what the SEC wants the future of college athletics to look like on the one hand you've got you know alabama proposing an even more radical change to the transfer stuff you've got billy napier at florida talking about you know even more kind of radical uh, adoption of sort of the pay-for-play model you've got other coaches other times kind of pushing back against some of that kind of stuff i mean i guess a little bit of you know disagreement or maybe you know difference of opinion is just natural but you kind of hope that the sec is going to be a leader one way or another about what college you know, football is going to be so whether it's fully embracing all the radical change or trying to to maintain some sense of what's made college ball great in the past I do sort of wish the league was a little bit more on the same page right now I'm saying this as a fan of the sport who wants to see it remain strong I mean what do you make about the fact that it just sort of seems like there's a little bit of a wrestling match for a narrative here uh, trying to emerge around the SEC and right now I think there's at least from my vantage point a lack of clarity what do you make of that? We may have just lost Mike. We'll see if we can get him back on. Uh, Is he back now? We'll see if we can get him back on there. But my my point in saying what I'm saying is maybe we'll give Mike a chance to answer that. We won't keep him too much longer because I know he's uh, there in Destin. We can hear this on over the air. Um, So the point here is is that you know I think in terms of what the various key figures in the league want. Mike, I'll bring you back in on this, and I, uh, like I said, we won't keep you much longer because I know you're busy here today. But what do you make of what seems to be sideways energy, a little bit of lack of clarity about what the entirety of the SEC wants in the future? What do you make of that, Mike?
1: Well, you know, what you were talking about, the radical ideas and differences, and I apologize for the technical difficulties, uh, dead spots in this uh, location. Um, You know, it's interesting. It's almost as if, it's almost as if we, we've, you know, stick with me here. You know, we're, we're abandoning the the automobile highway system, and we're all flying in airplanes now. And we don't we don't really have a roadway, we don't really have a structure, we don't really have a way to enforce. And and that's why you're hearing all these different models right now, because what's enforceable, what's sustainable, what's realistic, and and, and so that's why everyone's having to kind of brainstorm and say, you know, uh, you know, how are we going to do this? What's the best way to do it? Uh, ultimately, I think you're going to have to have some sort of, uh, you know, federal legislation in place if you want to go salary cap and contracts and things like that. And I just don't know if they're going to get the push for that. I- I'm just not sure, you know, free enterprise, uh, won't stand up in court uh, against some of the rules that they want to legislate. I mean, the bottom line is players are free agents now and, and coaches realize that they're losing leverage and, and it's going to make the job of a college football coach even harder uh, in terms of not just recruiting, but, uh, retaining and re-signing. And, um, you know, and and it's going to make it more of a dog eat dog word for the player too. I like Tommy Bush, you know, who lasted four years and what caught three or four passes and was able to get a full scholarship to Georgia education for out of state probably would have cost him $200,000. Those guys aren't going to exist anymore. They're going to get flushed real quick. They're not going to keep them in the system as is, uh, you know, with the no longer a limit of a 25-man scholarship, you're, you're going to see a lot more players invited to leave because uh, it's a dog-eat-dog world, man. I, I'm, I'm not sure if this is good for the game ultimately, but good or bad, this is where we're at.
0: Hey, give me a quick final thought here, Mike. Uh, ongoing, uh, what else do you expect to kind of kind of play out here over the course of the next couple of days while you're there in Destin? You can leave us with that.
1: Yeah, I think you hit all the, the top points, B.A. You're, you're on it. Um, sounds like you got a really good feel for it. I think the calendar on intra-conference transfers will probably remain February 1st there was a movement maybe move it back to May 1st uh, which is the national deadline for eligibility the next season I think that's uh, I think that's probably going to stay the same um, I, I think Sankey and, and his leadership is kind of on the fence as far as whether or not they make that vote for the new uh, scheduling model I, I do think it's just a matter of time before we go to the three six pod and you know, that's going to be fascinating because um, you know everybody's going to line up and want to play Vanderbilt every year, right? Assuming they show up for games these days. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, uh, you know it's going to be Florida. It certainly looks like Georgia wants to play Auburn as a permanent opponent. But if you're Auburn, do you really want to play Georgia? Is it really fair to ask Auburn to play Alabama and Georgia every year? So even though that may be on Georgia's wish list, are they going to get Auburn as an annual opponent or would that be one of the annual robberies? Um, you know, that, that would, I can't imagine, I can't imagine Georgia not playing Florida every year, um, you know, but can they keep Auburn as a permanent rival? Might, might it be South Carolina? Might it be Tennessee? Um, you know, do they, do they draw Vanderbilt? Do they draw the automatic W? Um, it, it's just, it's really hard to say, but those are the things I'd be looking for as the schedule model to your point. And I think, you know, whatever Jimbo Fisher has to say today will be newsworthy. Indeed, it will be. We're glad to have you
0: there covering that. Mike, we'll look forward to talking to you soon here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Brady Pass Management. Appreciate your time.
2: Got it. Let's take a look
0: around the rest of the league. This is SEC Group. Yeah, I mean, I'll just reiterate what I said before, which is that, you know, when Smart speaks, he talks, you know, great matchups, big games. Those are the phrases that he uses. And there's a way to do all of this in the, hey, what's the easiest possible path? Or what is the the path of least resistance here? And it can, you can certainly understand why, you know, self-servingly, you might want to pursue that. But that's certainly not good for us as fans that we want to see more big games. Even I'm, – I'm the kind of person that – I'm clearly a Georgia fan. But, you know, given the choice of seeing Georgia play tougher opponents creating better games – I'll take that, I believe, even if the end result of that is maybe slightly less success because if the success that you generate for yourself is built on the basis of an easy schedule, it's a little bit hollow, right? It's a little bit uh, insignificant in comparison to the feeling of when you get a big win, how that feels. you know. Think about for those of you lucky enough to be in South Bend when Georgia won there in 2017 or when Notre Dame came back here in 2019. You know, the fact that Georgia got those wins, it felt like something. You know, beating Clemson and Charlotte last year, I remember how happy I was. Some of you still make fun of me for dancing on the field after the game was over with there. But it felt good to win a big game. It's the kind of feeling you can't conjure up against just any old opponent. You can't make something that's not significant feel like it matters, feel like it's substantial. You need big games to do that. So the fact that Smart, at least based on his words yesterday, seems to be approaching this from the pursuit of, Hey, how can we create the, um, you know, the best overall vibe around the program? He said before, you know, good players want to play in good games. You know, big players, talented players want to be validated by playing in the biggest games around. And I don't know that also works out pretty well for all of us there too so i kind of like that more from what happened yesterday in a moment as a part of our sec through but first let me remind you we're cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and boy it's a great time to be on a royal caribbean cruise ship we're kind of working thinking about when our next cruise is coming up and right now it's your time to be doing that same thing there as well maybe for you it's one of those three or four night sailings going to the bahamas Those trips, many of them included stop by on Perfect Day, Coco Cay, that private island right there in the Bahamas, man. Ain't nothing better than that. It really is one of my favorite places in the world, whether it's the thrill side with the tallest water slide in North America, the water park park area they have there. You want the chill side, largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas. You kick back, you relax, you join some cocktails and having a great time. Either way, you can't go wrong with perfect get day, Coco okay, K, and you can't go wrong with a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. So find out more about this. Our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you get booked up here. You can see them online, their website, tcava.com. That's tc. Ava.com. You can also give them a call, 770 952 8300. That's 770 952 8300. The Cruise and Vacation Authority will help you. They'll get you ready to go on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, and you are going to uh, love that uh, for sure. All right, so cruise on the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Uh, let's do that here right now. A few more things from the spring meetings yesterday. We talked to Mike Griffith about this briefly a moment ago. So, Greg Sankey, and I'll show you this from, I think Ross Dellinger had this on Twitter. A lot of folks. We're there to cap- capture sankey on this kind of for the moment putting it back in the holster in regards to the idea of the sec might pull out one day and have its own playoff and kind of break away from the rest can we show ross dellinger here on this for a moment please so uh dellinger saying this do we have uh here we go uh that greg sankey is asked about the possibility of the sec staging its own playoff and uh sankey says it was an idea that was quote still in a folder someplace but doesn't sound serious about the notion. He says, however, there is no college football play p- plan beyond 2025, so plenty of options are on the table. And that was kind of the thing that Sankey kind of alluded to is while he sort of downplayed the notion they would do that, he also suggested everything's going to be in consideration because once this contract ends, there is nothing in place beyond that for the uh, 2025 season. And that's important to note, but also keep this in mind there as well. As you're thinking about, hey, Future rules and how do you rein in some of the transfer portal stuff if you want to? How do you rein in some of the NIL stuff if you want to? The presence of a smaller entity that exists, you know, below what we currently have right now, which is the entire country playing by the same system, a smaller entity that's more partitioned off, that's kind of making its own rules and competing against other entities trying to do the same thing. Legally, that might give you more freedom to create the kind of rules you want to create if you're not doing this blanket across the board in a monopolistic sense for the entire country. So that's not really being discussed right now when you think about the idea of an SEC breakaway. But if the SEC favors certain rules the rest of the country doesn't necessarily favor, or maybe legally you might have a hard time arguing for, well, making yourself into a smaller entity might give you a more legal ground to stand on when it comes to that. Here's what I thought was interesting yesterday. And I don't have the audio to play for you, but maybe finding this online is maybe worth your time there a little bit. We oftentimes see Nick Saban pushing around reporters, and uh, you know he's kind of made a little bit of a career out of that. I would say at times maybe even almost like a bully in some of these press conference situations because he knows uh, that a reporter you know runs the risk of you know, social media mob or even running afoul of his own employer. If you, uh, you know, kind of, you know, bow up or push back on Nick Saban a little too much. So, you know, Nick Saban has kind of enjoyed uh, being the big guy, punching down at smaller people a lot over the course of his career. But boy, let me tell you, things may have changed here just a little bit. Saban got kind of pushed back on a little bit yesterday uh, when it comes to some of the press conference stuff. I'll I'll show you this uh, exchange captured on Twitter by Alex Scarborough. So uh, Nick Saban, Scarborough writes on Twitter, is here for the SEC spring meetings. First question by Jimbo Fisher. Uh, Saban says, I didn't really say anybody did anything wrong. And the reporter comes back, but you said they bought their recruiting class. And then Scarborough writes on Twitter that uh, he reiterates, I didn't really say that anybody did anything wrong. With me. It was very interesting. You can go see the video for yourself on this. Interesting to see a reporter kind of push back on Saban yesterday in a way that hasn't happened in the past. And to me, it's an indication of something pretty clear. I think Dick, I think Nick Saban has been diminished by the dust-up with Jimbo Fisher. Now, how diminished is he? Is he a little smaller than he used to be? Is he a lot smaller than he used to be? Time may tell, tell on that. But to me, the least attractive quality anybody can have is being passive-aggressive. And I think that Nick Saban, in kind of throwing out there what he said about Jimbo Fisher, only to backtrack on that and say – On the one hand, he apologizes, I shouldn't have called anybody out by name. On the other hand, well, I didn't really say anything wrong. To me, this is just conduct unbecoming. This is not presidential. This is passive-aggressive type stuff, and passive aggression always makes people look weak. I think this particular exchange here, Nick Saban kind of comes across as, as, as just a little bit weaker for having uh you know thrown an accusation at jimbo fisher maybe not quite having all the facts to uh, back up his claim there jimbo certainly did not what was the, the line that the uh uh Memphis Grizzlies coach used one time like you're not going to rook me uh Jimbo Fisher was certainly not being willing to be treated like a rookie uh by Nick Saban all this and he kind of pushed back Jimbo's got his own program to defend here and you know a lot of bullies don't like being pushed back on and Nick Saban seems to be kind of finding this spot a little uncomfortable there as well as uh, he's been kind of pushed back there on this but finally one more thing related to Alabama and I thought this was kind of interesting so at a time in which Some people seem to be wanting to try to rein in the transfer portal at least a little bit. You know, we currently have a May first deadline for 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 transferring and 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 being eligible for the upcoming season. You know, you have to give indication by May first. Some conferences, you know, are kind of hoping that that some of this is going to be reined in even more, creating more transfer portal windows at least on the base of the reporting there yesterday, Alabama is actually kind of pushing the other direction. Like this particular year, the SEC had a February 1st deadline for transferring within the conference. It's the kind of thing that some conferences seem to want to model there for themselves, but Alabama is proposing the opposite. Do we have something we can show on this, uh, what the proposal is here? Yeah, Mike Rodak, writing for AL.com, says that Alabama proposes moving the intra-SEC transfer deadline from February 1st to May 1st, basically giving you you know several more months to – uh go after intra-conference transfers he says but most coaches seem to favor keeping the existing rule i guess uh, this was lane kiffin who joked this way that somebody said that they're not going to want to put their spring game on tv because (laughs) it's it's just going to be showcasing all the players that a program like alabama can come and want to poach and get transfers from there as well i mean i don't have to tell you that i think this is the wrong direction it's not surprising that alabama is maybe making this proposal nick saban has clearly adopted a form of short-term thinking in this kind of late stage of his career is almost like Captain Hook from the uh, movie Peter Pan. He hears the uh, clock ticking crocodile coming after him, he's trying to like pillage and plunder as much as he can before it gets to him. Uh that seems to be the way that Nick Saban's kind of going about his business right now and uh you know whatever destabilizes the sports fine as long as it keeps his, you know, perch of power in place for one more additional day, but I don't think making the transfer window even crazier is the right move for the rest of the SEC. It sounds like most of the league kind of agrees with that, but I still think it's a little bit odd that Alabama has even proposed, and as I said before, it truly demonstrates a level of short-term thinking, I believe. And a uh, lack of willingness on Saban's part to be a true leader for the sport going forward beyond anything other than what just benefits him. And that's a little bit of a shame to see. But nonetheless, we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, let me tell you what's not a shame to see. Uh, Yesterday was so great. And I thought Jeff Sandel had a really good story about this at dognation.com. But Georgia welcomed in a very impressive crop of summer enrollee, true freshman of the program yesterday. I'll show you some of this on video here and we'll talk about it here a little bit to me what is really fun about all of this is is that in addition to you know the level of fame these guys uh, obtain and obviously we talk about these guys all the time you know whether it be Christian Miller some of the other big guys Marvin Jones Jr. coming in you think about running back spot um, you know when you see guys moving in on campus like this you are kind of reminded at least in some form or fashion they're not that different than a typical college student and you know sometimes you see the fam i saw chris milton kendall milton's dad on twitter the other day talking about the sadness that he had about saying goodbye to kendall as he went back to school and that's real life right i mean parents you know feel this way the players themselves imagine the the level of uh you know butterflies they may have in their stomach about moving somewhere new for maybe the first time in their lives and Uh, you know trying to learn a you know a football program there and all that too it's also kind of fun to watch the UJ staffers kind of helping them move in there a little bit you saw I think Glenn Schumann a moment ago I believe you saw some of Mike Bobo there doing some of that kind of stuff there as well so it's a great scene to see I think the fact that Georgia shares so much of this online is kind of cool there as well and obviously for some of these guys even though Georgia had a huge crop of early enrollees going through spring practice there's also a bunch of big names here going through the summer enrollment part of all this there as well and Obviously, Georgia's a deep roster and there's, you know, there there's plenty of talent coming back to UGA for the upcoming season. But there's also plenty of playing time to still be earned. And some of these guys showing up here for this are going to certainly have a chance to do that. Great video released by UGA yesterday. One more thing to get you excited about the upcoming season, which will be here before you know it. So uh, a little earlier, we, uh, <laughs> Played the audio of Kirby Smart describing the exchange between Jimbo Fisher and uh, Nick Saban as Mickey Mouse. And that got our buddy Mad Dog, uh, who's so great at some of these golden shoe things, that got him going there a little bit. He says, When your work colleagues act like children, he says, hashtag Grow up. And you see kirby smart pointing saying that's mickey mouse and i love the fact that he's put the uh mouse ears hats on both jimbo and nick saban they're very well done by mad dog a very well earned golden shoe from him and that is certainly great to see let me tell you what else is great to see. Lousy stinking Gators. How about a Gator Hater update? It's been 4,892 days since Florida has won a national championship. And we also believe that the dogs are on their way back to Jacksonville exactly 150 days from right now. Given the Gators a beat down once again, boy, that's good news. This is Dog Nation Daily presented by Brady Pass Management. We'll see you again tomorrow. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast cooldown, down. we'll take your comments here either on Twitter at dog nation daily. You can send those to me there or in our comment section. when We post the show at dognation.com Read through a few read through a few of these red dog one writing in. I talked last week about Georgia averaging 42 points per game. That's my kind of ambitious goal for them for the upcoming season. Red dog says they could have averaged 42 points per game last season. If Kirby would have let Stetson throw in the fourth quarter, instead of running it on every play, he also says you can't stop uh, Brock Bowers if Eric Gilbert's on the field there too. So, I do think that Gilbert could be in line for a very big season. I think the presence of Gilbert and Brock Bowers playing together should be a lot of fun to watch. And obviously, guys like Darnell Washington and Oscar Delt potentially factor into that there as well. But the the depth for Georgia tight end is going to be a fascinating subplot all season long. However, on the subject of, hey, Georgia could have scored more points if it simply just, you know, uh, was more aggressive during garbage time a year ago. This is one of those things where I guess I just kind of find myself at odds with some of you. I'm not necessarily against Georgia scoring points late in games, but I think some of you think it's more noteworthy to do that than I do. To me, the way in which you prove your greatness is not by tacking on a late score in a game that's already decided. It's how quickly you move a game that's 0-0 into the garbage time category. That's really where you prove things. So, You know, last year, the way in which Georgia jumped out on Arkansas so quick rendered the rest of the game meaningless, that mattered to me. Did the similar thing to Kentucky there as well. You can cite other games where that was true, where, you know, Georgia just kind of, you know, through a flurry of action renders the rest of the game meaningless. And that to me is where you show your authority. That to me is where you show your power as a team. And, yeah, you could tack on a couple of scores late, but those are fairly empty calories in the long run. I understand why fans would like to see it. It's entertaining to watch, but in terms of proving something about UGA, not quite sure that it does. However, in terms of proving things but the dogs, silver britches doesn't seem to need much proof. He says the dogs are going to repeat as national champions. They'll also be SEC champions. King Kirby's not going to let our guys lose focus. The dog dynasty is just beginning. Seems like there's been a lot of dynasty talk lately because of the fact that Golden State Warriors are back in the uh, in the NBA Finals here again, and it's been interesting to 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 see all of the different definitions people seem to have for what a dynasty is. And frankly, some people seem to be grading on a pretty tough curve about you know what even counts as a dynasty. But uh, I don't think it's too far off to say that Georgia could be on its way to doing that. But it's kind of interesting to 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 see uh you know how far they'd have to go before some people be willing to give them credit for having a dynasty because it sounds like some folks don't think Golden State's built one quite yet when I think it's pretty clear they have especially if they were to win the title of this year but maybe that's a different topic for a different day. Uh, J Dog also writes in we talked about some of the noon starts for Georgia yesterday when Connor was on he says the Georgia can't State game. Is on ESPN Plus because the network wants to add subscribers. It is also important to point out that I know this is really confusing, but if you've got the SEC network or ESPN, if you've got that as part of your regular like TV package, you already have access to these stream games. This is not a pay-per-view game the way that some of their UFC or boxing stuff might be. This isn't the same thing as that. Uh, it's just something they're putting on streaming internet. And by the way, it seems like with the nfl games on thursday's moving to amazon some of the braves games this year have been on apple tv there's about to be a lot more streaming in our life when it comes to a, being a sports fan and i don't think right now that's a superior experience but one way or another it seems like we're going to have to get used to that he also says the noon start for georgia south carolina makes no sense outside the networks guess on the um, on on the market um yes yeah, so i also kind of come back to something i believe i said yesterday which is if you're a Georgia fan, maybe you kind of you know don't hate the idea of the South Carolina game being at noon, And the fact that if you're going, it's going to be so hot. Maybe you're taking away some of the, your opponent's home field advantage by playing the game earlier. You know, there's a huge frustration when Georgia plays a home game at noon. Maybe a away game at noon. Maybe you don't hate quite so bad. Now I don't like it because uh, it's going to be harder for me to get there early in the morning. But uh, if you're either not going, maybe you like watching the game at noon on TV at home. Uh, or if you're, you know, thinking about what's best for Georgia, maybe a, a diminished home field advantage because of the earlier start, maybe that works to your advantage a bit there. Either either way, fun comments. Thanks for being here as part of our podcast, Cool Down Today. Y'all find RS Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They'll show up on time, but do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. You can trust them on that today. And we'll see you tomorrow right here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Past Management.